Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So let me ask you a question that's pretty much impossible to answer. It's not like I'm setting you up or anything. <laughs> what are what are you capable of? What are you capable of? Not, not, not just this. Uh, well, I can I can shoot baskets. That, no, I, I'm not looking for that kind of answer. What is your potential over time? What could you accomplish in five years, ten years, in decades? What's your potential? Do you know it's impossible for you to answer that? I suggest. Uh, and, And there's a couple of reasons why. You're a soul. You're this gigantic, multidimensional non-linear soul somehow shoehorned into a physical body. And unless you've been practicing, it's going to be your ego that answers that question. And egos tend to suck at knowing non-linear multidimensional potential. I'm super stoked about tonight's show, but it's not going to get you out of that question. What are you capable of? The the thing is, we bump up against ourselves. The, the ego's totally about feeling in control. The ego wants to know that every decision it makes is going to keep the ego in charge. It's going to keep the ego at the helm. And the power play, the power play is really the vision of our soul and the passion of our heart. If your heart were to express, if if you were to heal your bold and courageous heart, and then engage the vision of your life that your soul had in mind before you were born, the untrained ego would burst into flames, (laughs) metaphorically, (laughs) because the life path becomes nonlinear and the ego has to let go. Well, it doesn't have to let go. Most of humanity is proving that the ego doesn't have to let go. So, Damn, I'm so excited about tonight's show. I am. The topic tonight is the the title of a book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction. And our guest tonight is Pamela Brinker, and we're going to bring her on in just a minute. But there's something there's there's something that happens when we go to be bold or we go to be vulnerable. Intimacy can bring this. The for a couple to do uh, deep intimate work like perhaps tantra or um, 
things of that nature, you're going to bump up against your shadow. You're going to bump up against things that make your ego feel nervous. You're going to bump up against aspects of your past that are collecting cobwebs because you just don't want to go there. But there's a beautiful, beautiful thing that happens, and our guest tonight embodies that so well. When you can heal your relationship with pain, heal your relationship with perhaps circumstances out of your control, if you can heal your ego's tendency to pull back or, quote, play it safe, unquote, whole new realms of potential open up for your life. The when I first went to write a book, it took me six years because my ego was arguing the whole flipping time. What the hell me write a book? Come on. And now writing books brings me such joy. So I had a potential in, in myself, i.e. writing books, and my ego was scared of it. And so I had a six-year arguing match. And now I can write a book and it doesn't bother me too much at all. So my future changed. My, uh, I, I want to say my life purpose changed, but not it, it changed from my ego's perspective, but not my soul's perspective. Um, my soul showed me this big ass stuff coming down the pike and it's like, all right, I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to trust. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to figure it out. This was all laid down on paper, multidimensional paper. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, long before I was born, so when you listen to this episode tonight, I want you to think, I want you to daydream, get some serious daydreaming going on about who you might become if you were to learn how to trust yourself, if you were to learn how to feel the discomfort, to learn how to feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable, to go into that shadow side, to go into that that painful side of your past and heal it and and clean it out and and not be intimidated by it, that's going to change the dynamic of your whole flipping life. How cool is that? That's the kind of stuff that gets me up in the morning. I think we should get to it because Pamela brings a lot to the table. Again, the topic tonight is conscious bravery. Caring for someone with addiction, and our guest tonight is Pamela Brinker. As a licensed cl uh, clinical psychotherapist, Pamela has been working with clients to help move them through pain and into bravery for over 20 years. She's a passionate speaker, educator, and advocate. But above all, she is a mother who has struggled with the emotions and challenges of raising two sons wrestling with addiction. 
Her living wisdom resonates throughout the book with intimate stories that give context and meaning to the practical advice. As she writes, I felt that way dozens of times and am here to offer you ways to pull yourself up, stand tall, and walk forward one shocked or exhausted step at a time. Join me in welcoming Pamela to the show. Pamela, you're finally on the show. (laughs) Thank you, Les. It's a delight to be here with you and your listeners. What a story you have. Um, I, I always like to start off with a little context. Can you can you share with us kind of the aspects of your life path that got you to write a book about conscious bravery? Certainly. About 12 years ago, my two teenage son, then two teenage sons, stepdad passed away from brain cancer. And so we had been given about a year to know that he had that much time left to live. And we were a pretty tight family. My sons and I were were close. But then when my husband passed away and they lost the stepfather that they loved so dearly, they were grieving more than I imagined that they would. And in my own devastation, I, I kind of fell apart. You know, I really, so much had been uncertain that year. So much had changed. I faced what all of us faced huge changes, huge physical changes in my husband. My, my two teenage sons were growing up a little, you know, during that year. But at any rate, they really fell apart less. And they turned to substances, to alcohol and drugs, as the answer to their pain. And that's really what happens for many of us as addiction seeds are planted You know, not everyone becomes addicted to a substance, but they had so many things that were going on. They both had severe ADHD and so forth. So anyway, I fell apart, and at times I really didn't even know how I was going to do it. And I remember saying to myself a few times, I can't do this. And then one day grace really hit me, and... I consider it a download, really, a gift from God and the universe. And it was, it was a quote I had read that Cheryl Strayed had written in her book, Tiny Beautiful Things. And she had written that we parents don't have the luxury of despair. So I realized I've got to be able to be with my grief and pain and model that to my sons, walk alongside them as they're mourning and trying to figure out their lives and their next steps. But I've got, to, I've got to use tools and practices that really help me out of this abysmal place. So I, I really wrote this book, Conscious Bravery. I began writing it in varying ways back then because it wasn't available to me. There was no bravery protocol out there. I was, I was turning to so many different resources and different kinds of therapy to try to, to pull myself together and to be the mom that could be the anchor for my sons that I needed to be. So I started just putting everything together and walking alongside them, and and yet they were really, really devastated, and they turned to not just 
uh, stimulants, but over the course of a few years, they became addicted to methamphetamines, to crystal meth and to other various types of meth. And so that journey was so hugely devastating, and, and there were many times that were just harrowing that I began to compile this this research really and practice it myself. You know, I had to really rewrite a lot of the things I had partnered with my clients uh, in you know tools and practices I had tools and practices I had taught them and worked with them to use in their lives. I had to really revamp those and modify them and use them myself. So that's the beginning of of the book. And as I rewrote the book in this last year, I really realized how much my own personal story needed to be included. So I have told a little bit of some of the things I've been through in the book, some of the times in which I just fell flat on my face and made made huge mistakes and didn't know what to do, but did the best I could with the awareness that I had. But so hence the word conscious, because I really believe we all need conscious bravery. That's what I needed. I needed not just the kind of bravery that could leap in and save the day. I needed the awareness to be tender if, if that was what was needed. So I like the, the word conscious bravery because it's a bravery that's vibrantly alive and awake. And it's activated not just when we're having a spiritually joyful moment. It's activated even when we're feeling despair or shame. And that's what I had to learn how to do, is how to really feel the the complete loss and grief and, and feel that uncertainty so that I could learn, as you were saying earlier, how to become more comfortable with discomfort, how to be, be able to handle overwhelm and to prepare for it. Now, you've worked as a uh licensed clinical psychotherapist and you've gone through this experience with your kids when you when you're when you're observing a loved one and you want change you want the dynamic the narrative to change so bad and or perhaps you're the uh the psychotherapist and you're helping others try to change or help people in their life change where are the reins to change in a persona's life in a in a human being how do you is there a is there a, a process or a mechanism that works every time that's a a great question, and I love how you called it a process or a mechanism, because I think it can be both and many other things, too, because everyone's unique. Each one of us are individuals, so we want to first know ourselves, and, and that's what I had to learn. I had to know what triggered me. I had to try not to fix my triggers and avoid them, try not to deny my own pain, but to be really present with it. So that's one of the first things that I teach and that I see working with, with anyone is when we're able to have the awareness to notice what's happening in our experience. And, and we notice on a lot of different levels. I call them the six zones of experience. We can notice what's happening in our hearts with our emotions. Like I might be feeling absolutely overwhelmed. So I notice that, that feeling in my heart, that heaviness. 
And I might notice that sensation in my throat too, Les. You know, I might feel a tightness in my throat or a heaviness in my shoulders. So I might just pay attention to that. Or what might be leaping out at me might come from my thoughts. My thoughts might just be racing, saying, you've got to fix this, you need answers. You know, that kind of thing, right? Or it right. might be that, that my intuition is speaking to me saying, hey, you can't trust this, you need to take control. But of course, so much is out of our control. So again, we want to really notice what's happening without judgment in our whole experience. So I talked about the heart, and I mentioned our minds, and we pay attention to our bodies. We listen to what our intuition is saying to us. We might, we might not take the advice of our intuition. But, and then we go into the energy around us because new research shows that our bodies don't end with our skin. So we pay attention to that energetic vibe in that circle of space, that bubble, the container immediately around us. What's happening there? What's happening in our environment? And just notice it without judging it. That's the real key to all of this. We don't judge it. We don't say, oh, I shouldn't be feeling that or that shouldn't be happening. We just go, oh, wow, that's happening. This is what is. And then the very hub of these six zones of our experience is our essence. And I call it essence because I love that word. It's a beautiful, elegant word. And it doesn't conjure as many, as many interpretations as soul or self. And so we tap into our essence. And that's really the hub of our whole being. And so really when, when we're feeling that so much is out of our control, the very first thing that we can do is instead of trying to, to tend to our situation and make sense of it, we go into our whole being and we do this scan and we become conscious in these six zones of experience. And, and I find it very helpful and my clients find it helpful to label them using one to three words to describe each zone. And they can be seemingly opposing things, like I might feel hopeful in my essence or I might... I might experience in my essence that peace, like, it's going to be all right. This is the human experience. This is not everything. But I might at the same time be feeling completely panicked. There have been so many times when I've been completely panicked or um, just not knowing what to do and feeling hopeless you know, or even uh, helpless, which is, a feeling I can't stand. <laughs> I can't right. stand feeling helpless. And so um, my tendency as a former endurance athlete was to do stuff, you know, and to be in my body and to help people solve things or, or get moving, do something like that. But I found last that conscious bravery can look a hundred different ways on a hundred different days. It can, it can, it's not always tough as nails. It can look like softness and it can sound like stillness. It can look like listening and it can sound like, like quiet. And so it's, it's a different experience for each person and I believe we, we need to start with who we are and get to know our own experience and get to know who we are, who we truly are. <laughs> right. Well, uh, I really like how you've... you've uh, uh, put some context to the many ways that we can sense um, angst and worry and fret and fear. And um, as I listen to this, I mean, uh, addiction is certainly a very powerful, very powerful dynamic. But uh, this 
all of this would apply to watching somebody go through cancer that you love or watching yourself go through cancer or maybe being in a a war zone and watching your mm. the, the slow motion uh, death of your of your culture or something yeah you know what i mean because um what you're talking about is really powerful and and um just just to kind of broaden the the tool set that you're sharing with us to help people that are going through situations that they have no control over and um and they're watching it happen and you know the the ego is such a talented uh drowner of hopes in the sense that you can um we talked i think it was last week's show or the week before we talked about suicide and um where a narrative gets going in your brain and you feel a sense of hopelessness I mean, what you're talking about is really a a, a very powerful skill set that would work across, I think, um, many aspects of how humanity is suffering navigating this slow motion karmic tsunami called life. Absolutely, yes. These concepts and practices apply to any challenging situation, because the, the things that I love to to teach and that helped me are, for example, to utilize conscious breathing, not just, not just taking three deep breaths, as many of us have heard others tell us, but to really breathe consciously into our experience and not run from it. You know, as you're saying, so we might have a parent with Alzheimer's uh, who has forgotten on a particular day who we are, or we, as you said, we might be struggling with cancer or or residual trauma after something horrific like war, like sexual abuse. And so we need, we need some, some grounding capacity <laughs> to be able to, to see things differently and gain greater perspective, as you're saying. And so when I was talking about getting to know who we are, I didn't know who I was when my husband died and my sons were really, really struggling and one of them got arrested. You know, he was only 17. He got arrested for possession of drugs and paraphernalia. I thought, I thought I was a mom. I thought I was a therapist. And I designated that myself that way as an athlete, as a musician, those kinds of things, things that, things that I was decent at. And that's what most of us do. We think that who we, it, we are is, is either a role or a skill set or accomplishments or a talent, right? But really, truly, Les, and all of our beautiful listeners, who we are is we are this essence, this beautiful being that we've been before birth and through this life, and it's unchanging. It's connected to God and the universe. It's connected an authentic connection to each other, this beautiful essence that we have. And then we carry it with us into death and beyond. And so once I realized I'm my essence, I'm not my role as a mother, whether I'm a decent mother today or not, <laughs> whether I'm able to, to help my sons or not, I'm still my essence, you know? And, and that, when so much is out of our control, that's something I can stand on. That's something that can, 
help me feel grounded and calm my panic and rise, you know, because we need to be able to rise and be poised in our situation so that we can be an oasis for our loved ones who are struggling. We want to be that so that they can say, oh, wow, look at, look at Les, look at him. He, he knows how to handle this. Hmm, and maybe I can actually do that. Well, I like that. Well, the um, it it seems like um, people are kind of they're they're drowning in the mundane. They're drowning in they're they're paying attention to information that has no value as far as mm-hmm. what their heart and their soul would consider food. It's it's like uh, an ego or a mind busyness, a ego or a mind, you know, staring at the phone, looking for yet another distraction. What about, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, there, there's such a, like, depression or a sense of hopelessness, but what about the softer ways that we check out, the softer ways where we, we fall into a, melancholy we fall into a a mundane sense of ourself and i see so many people that there's just nothing on their radar they're not working on anything they're not doing anything to grow themselves they're like treading water hoping hoping things will come about uh especially the last couple of years there's been so much change to to, to um, tread water, to disengage the creation process, so to speak, within ourselves. What, how do you how do you find out where you're disconnected if you're disconnected from that part of you? Oh, that's great. We we initially commit, as you clearly have, to becoming more conscious or we commit to becoming more aware and to paying attention. And it's really wonderful that when we send that out to the universe, we get an answer. (laughs) When we want to become more aware, the universe will definitely give us what we need to become more conscious. (laughs) But once we've committed to it, we have to practice. And and that's where I'm laughing because I laugh at myself. I wanted to practice on easy things. I wanted to practice in just a calm moment, which, of course, we have to do, right? Just like learning to play the piano, we practice when we just want to sit down and play some scales or play a piece, and it's during the calm moments. But we also have to practice when the universe gives us the harrowing situations and says to us, okay, now there's this. Practice with this. And so there's this magic that can happen in the mud, right, just like with that beautiful image of the lotus flower. There's, there's magic and mystery that happens in suffering. And I'm not, I'm not saying we need to stay in suffering because, as you know about me, I'm a vibrantly awake, alive, joyous person. But I am that because I commit to also letting myself feel my suffering. I'm really pretty good at suffering. <laughs> I really know how to not just fix my triggers, but, but say, wow, I'm really triggered right now. I feel like, like yelling at my son, or I feel like just crying my heart out. And so I will, 
I'm with my own pain and I might hold myself and I teach this to my clients too, even my guy clients. <laughs> you know, to, to cross one arm, put your hand on the left shoulder or kind of your bicep, put your left hand on your right tricep and give yourself a hug or put, your, put both hands on your heart space. So really we, we, we need to bring these concepts and practices into our bodies. As you and I were talking the other day, people like Peter Levine and Bessel van der Kolk and some of the people like Dan Siegel have taught us through recent neuroscience that we've got to get into our bodies, not away from them. And so you were asking how do we become, how do we come out of those softer places like the depression? Well, first off, we notice what's happening. Like I'm really feeling unmotivated, immobilized. I don't even want to get out of bed. And so we bring in tools and practices that everybody knows works, and we commit to them. Things like gratitude, gratitude practices. Like I don't even get out of bed and put my feet on the floor until I can say I am grateful that I have a roof over my head and a floor to put my feet on. <laughs> and right, that I have yeah. water to, to go get from the kitchen and have a big glass of water. And so gratitude practices help us. But, you know, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we remember to be grateful? You were saying, well, we, we have to commit to working with our whole being because the signals will come to us from any one of those six zones. Sometimes our bodies will alert us and say, wow, hey, I've got this low back pain. Man, this is that old sciatica coming back at me. This is this intergenerational thing I've been carrying around in my body or whatever. And we listen to it, and then we practice paying attention. There's all this talk these days about affirmations and, you know, rising above, but actually the only way to rise above and, and come into our lives and really live them to the fullest and have greater happiness and get through these devastations is by practicing. You know, we commit to it and we do stuff over and over and over. And so even with affirmations, I found that, that when we embody them, when we walk around the house saying whatever we're trying to affirm, like remember who I am or feel my pain and then let it move through me and then I'll feel a lightness. Or we practice conscious breathing, which, which conscious breathing can actually lift us up and elevate us if we breathe more quickly. You know, like that, we can, we can actually elevate our mood and we can stand up and get our shoulders back and be in our bodies, feel our bare feet, or if we're not barefooted, get barefooted, feel our feet on the floor and connect them into the earth, and then we feel a lift. Or conscious breathing can also bring us down if we're anxious and panicked, and we can breathe more slowly, practice ujjayi breathing, or something like that, like that's the Darth Vader breathing, where we're you know, breathing like that to activate uh, heat and calm in the body. So those are a couple of practices that actually help us during challenges. <laughs> well, I like that. Well, and there's, mm-hmm. I think there's something that happens when we put ourselves in an environment that we don't know the answer to, where it's like, mm-hmm. it can be as simple as uh, uh, taking a contra dancing class and and people might go contra dancing. What the hell is that? <laughs> but it's a, it, it's it's really kind of uh, 
it's such a kick because it's very community oriented. In a single dance, you'll dance with six, seven, eight people. And and it can get so fast that you have to have to have to get out of your brain and 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 stay present in your body. And um, what what kind of things can be, I mean? Because the flip side of struggle, the flip side of of anguish, remorse, pain, is joy, happiness, uh, sensual laughter, fun. Um, how do we stoke the fire to those positive attributes? Mm, and I love what you said, that we have to get out of our brains and into our bodies. And so I'll come at your question the back, the back way, okay? Sure. Right, love? So initially, we want to get out of this, this place where for years and years our culture has talked about mindfulness. Because mindfulness just conjures the mind. And the mind is already the source of so many of our troubles because we ruminate in our minds and we fixate and we, we focus on stuff from the past or we focus on what, what we fear might happen in the future. But instead, we want to befriend all of ourselves and get into our bodies. We have these beautiful containers that were given to us in this life. And so I love, I'm going to answer your question now. We have to shift. We absolutely, I love your, that you were talking about dancing. We can maybe try Try movement meditation. Try dancing meditation. Try ecstatic dancing. Try doing things that are hard for us, like asking for help. For most of us, asking for help is hard. And so I'll tell you a little story. Is that okay if I, well, if I launch into a little story? It's a very personal one. Yeah, so a few years ago when both of my sons, had chosen homelessness. Neither one of them wanted to be in treatment, but both of them were not thinking well. They had altered states happening, which some people call psychosis. Psychosis are calling it altered states. They had internal stimuli, but simultaneously. And my mother's heart was just torn up because one of them had gotten beat, beat up, and I knew about this, had gotten beaten up and injured, homeless, and the other one was becoming rail thin rail thin on methamphetamines. And, uh, you know, he's six feet three inches tall, and he probably weighed about 130 pounds. Wow. And so I was just, just, I don't know, there are no, almost no words for how troubled I was. <laughs> it was really hard to get out of bed and put my feet on the floor in gratitude. And then my, and, and this, I, I think most of our listeners can relate to this, my sole pet, Socrates, my main coon, and all of us have had, most of us have had a pet that we've loved in our lives. It's been absolutely amazing. Socrates was this wise cat. Everybody called him that. They said, oh my gosh, he's the most amazing cat I've ever known. He was playful. He was wise. He was just intuitive. But anyway, he, he accidentally got out. One of our friends came over and, and left the door open, not to blame anybody. <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> but he got out for the first time and he, he was he was an indoor cat, and he got out. And I didn't know it because I had already been, I had already gone to bed and I was asleep. So I woke up the next morning, and he hadn't come onto my bed like he usually did. And I just freaked out, and I looked all over for him, and I said to my husband, he's gone. We've got to go look. And so we, we looked around the house, and we Googled stuff, like where do cats go when they've never been out before. Anyway, long story short, I was blessed to get to know my neighbors during this time. Because 
over 200 people came uh, into my world to help me find Socrates. And here's what I did. Wow. I found out that one of, one of my neighbors on my block was actually a pet detective. She was a cat detective. She had trained her little dog with a police um, a, a police trainer, and her, do- her dog knew how to find cats. And she also told me, put up these ginormous yellow posters with a color photograph of your cat on every single stop sign in our neighborhood and put a flyer in every single mailbox. So I put, I put probably 500 flyers in the mailboxes with fo- photos of my cat with my uh, reward, this amount of money, a reward, um, here's my phone number. Text me if you see him. Come to my house. Here's my address. Whatever you want to do. And so people came alive. It was this happened end of July into August, and people would stop by our house. Oh my gosh, I saw Socrates. He was under my front porch. Here's my address. And so you know, I get the crate and the tuna, which was a rare treat. Run over to their house, and um, sure enough, he'd be gone because he was on the run. He he was a scaredy cat because he'd never been out and about. And anyway, long story short, three and a half weeks later, I was having a a party for my husband for his birthday, Les, and two women came over and they said, we've been trying to call you. They came to our house. We've been trying to call you. Your cat is under our porch. And so one of my dear friends and I did this. So many people came to help me over this period of time. And one of my dear friends had the tuna ready and I had the crate ready just in case. And we dashed over. And this, this, these people had a, a super long porch. <laughs> and anyway, Socrates <laughs> was probably about 12 feet to the very end of it. And, and I think he was, he was going, that was, he was making his bed to, to die. Anyway, we lured him over with tuna, grabbed the scruff of his neck. Got, I held him in my arms and just held him and cried with joy. He was just bones. He had lost. He had gone down from 13 and a half pounds down to, I think it was seven pounds. Wow. And um, anyway, we took him straight to the vet. The vet said, wow, you know, you got here. You got him here just in the nick of time. And I said, you know, I didn't. It was my neighborhood. And I just get tears because that was so uncomfortable for me. I was used to being the, the person, the therapist that helped everybody else, that led the workshops, that did the couple therapy that helped individuals find themselves, but I had to find a new self for me. I had to learn how to ask for help and receive it. And it was such a beautiful experience. It's a mystical experience receiving help in that way. I mean, so many people texted me. I really literally kept track of how many people texted me. My neighborhood wrote a story about Socrates in the neighborhood association. They compiled it. One gentleman wrote a really brilliant story about Socrates and they gave him they gave him the month of August as the month of August in our neighborhood is dedicated to Socrates and they called him the cat that lived. <laughs> wow. Well, mm-hmm. I, I love this. I love this story because of who, of who you became by picking mm-hmm. up a new dynamic in your life. It was, mm-hmm. as you have shared, it was so, uh, not in your wheelhouse, so to speak, to go interact with all these people. So, so take look at yourself before you've gone through all of this growth. So maybe a, a teenager. I don't know the dynamic of your life, but look at before you woke up, so to speak, in a 
gentle way and who you are now and how would you describe the difference between those two personas? Mm. I've learned to shift how I view mental health and addiction and, and I really attribute a lot of it to that time when Socrates was lost and I was so worried about my sons that I had some, I had a lot of free time on my hands <laughs> to research and I, I started reading a lot more information, a variety of different kinds of information about addiction. And no one wants to become addicted. Again, we seek substances or behaviors as answers to our pain or even to our pleasure. You know, if we really feel happy, we might want to really celebrate and use a substance or a behavior to do that more thoroughly. But, but inevitably, we turn to those things as solutions to our pain, either our depression or our grief or our panic. And all of us have stuff like that, right? All of us have something that we deal with that's either a compulsion, and, and I've learned to just call it. Like, I'm totally addicted to chocolate, <laughs> but I choose to be. I, I love my chocolate, and I will eat an entire bar of chocolate in one day if I feel like it. You know, the great big chocolate love or the alter eco. I'll eat a whole, whole bar because I like it. And But I, I know it may not be good for me, but... It's not killing me, and I'm I'm pretty healthy. I eat I eat a lot of greens and, and other things. But anyway, long story short, I really began to view health in a new way, and I guarded my health with my life, and I started protecting my happiness and putting the oxygen mask on my own face first, so that when it felt like the plane was going down, I could understand and walk alongside my sons if they were having a relapse, or if they were depressed and felt like taking their own lives, or if they were off, 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 panic, panic, full of anxiety and high on methamphetamines and angry. You know, that's happened too. My sons have been not themselves when they've been on meth because it, it turns people into somebody else, really. And so I've learned to have a lot more compassion, boundary compassion. I believe in loving boundaries and having awareness about what I'm willing to do and what I'm not willing to do. You know, like a little, a little definition of boundaries to me is boundaries are for our own self-care. We're not trying to control someone else. And so I learned to say to my sons, and I'm very imperfect at this still, but I'm much better. I see health as a gift, and I decide that it's not up to me to decide what's healthy for them and what's not. Some days I'm just grateful that my sons are alive or that they can breathe. You know, their health may still be challenged in certain ways, right? And so I don't judge. And I have this different perception of, of addiction. I have so much more compassion for it as a disorder and a disease. It's not a character flaw. Uh, every single one of us has some sort of compulsion or we're addicted to something. So when we, can when we can turn that empathy that we have for ourselves outward and offer that compassion to our beloved, they do better and we, we feel better as well. Wow, very well said, well spoken. Well, now we've mm. talked about we've talked about quite a few things here. Um, where would you want this conversation to go? What what other elements would you like to bring into the episode? Mm. I guess I'd like to to talk about love in that way because. I bet most of us, most of you listening, have had some sort of 
intergenerational patterning in your lives, you know. And so, again, with non-judgment, I've learned to notice the cycles of my own patterns that have repeated from generation to generation, you know, such as my family has addiction and mental health issues. I've had cousins that have taken their own lives and so forth. And, and so there are more effective tools for coping, though, with our discomfort and um, with our pain and our overwhelm than simply turning to substances. Now, it's okay to turn to a substance, too. I'm kind of a beverage queen, and, and I drink my tea ritually, and I drink my espresso, <laughs> and I drink wine. And I'm not a person that has trouble controlling the amount, but I don't judge other people who do. But I have learned to, to develop different kinds of coping skills so that I have an array of things to choose from. Because in any given moment, you might not be able to, to sport a downward dog, you know, right? That's a, a yoga pose. You might not be able <laughs> <Right>. to do that. <laughs> However, I have been known to do yoga in the parking lot. And so in my next book, I'm going to talk about yoga in the parking lot because I'll do, I'll do various tadasana or a goddess pose or a warrior pose in the parking lot because I wanted to, to break free of old ways of operating, do things that make me shift. And so I might say, oh, wow, those people might stare at me. Ah, what the heck? If they do, that's, that's their choice. It's not, it's not their business what I'm doing. <laughs> and right. so that to me is, is love. That is self-love that is so big that I am getting past my ego. I am getting past old ways of operating, and then I can extend that love to, to my beloveds, to my sons and my husband and other people, my clients. And, and that love is the, I like to say love is the fiercest force because loving awareness helps me step back and see with greater perspective. You know, Les, you know this, love outlasts regret, it outlasts pain, it heals trauma. It's a renewing elixir. And with, with the depth of love, we can rewire. And that's what epi, epigenetics teaches us these days. We have got to rewire and reprogram right. so that we don't operate in those same kinds of ways. And we can change, thankfully, in this life. So I would ask our listeners, what motivates you? What is your meaning? What do you live for? You know, and what's your purpose day to day? So there's that overarching question of what's your meaning in the umbrella? And then what's your day to day purpose? And for me, it, it seems to always come down to love. I love myself. I love God. I love you already, Les. <laughs> I haven't even, we haven't even met. <laughs> and I love your listeners because when we have such great empathy and passion for life, it's so easy to love. It's so much easier to love than it is to dislike someone if we can extend non-judgment and compassion. And so love is this fierce force. So I would ask, our listeners to to decide what do you live for, what's your meaning, and that may shift and change. And, and what do you, what's your purpose? And it can be different from mine for sure. Well, <laughs> not love like is, love is the best. <laughs> well, love is so powerful. I mean, it'll kick your ass in such wonderful ways over and over and over again. I like to say, you know, if if love isn't turning your perception of your life on its head poke it with a stick a few times and see if you can wake it up mm. <laughs> because... <laughs> i love that <laughs> because poke it poke it into uh 
into activation. <laughs> well, that's right, because it's not it's not really demonstrated per se in in the collective, and uh, and it it is such a Oh damn! You just can't corral it in any way into a paragraph or a mm-hmm. sentence without buggering it up, and in it, it's just eternally <laughs> ready for more. I guess it's. I, I find mm-hmm. it fascinating. I, I intend to OD on it, so mm-hmm. in, in a <laughs> metaphorical way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You're right, but but we and I I'm in love with love too. But again, how how do we love ourselves? We practice self love. We practice compassion and empathy. We get into somebody else's whole being. We not just walk in their shoes, but we imagine what it's like to be them, and that's love because empathy yeah. is a form of love. And so I like to say empathy and bravery are best friends. <laughs> Well, and and love doesn't have a measuring stick. It doesn't it doesn't quantify crap. It it takes everything as mm-hmm. it is, and and mm-hmm. uh, the, the unconditional love, unconditional love is uh, a it. I have to go to the the burning bush. Um, I am that I am. It's like there's no adjective mm-hmm. that I have posture with. I am that I am, and perhaps the mm-hmm. Bhagavad Gita that says, "As it is, there you are, there you are, there you mm-hmm. are," and I have no need to bring in a symbol table or some kind of a metric or quantify any of that crap. Love is 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 uh, it's so elegant. It's just it mm. it's the coolest thing. I mean, poke it. Get stirred mm. up, let it burn in your heart, and 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 put it out there because um, you can't exhaust it. It always has more to show you, um, and and that's why I really liked about uh, this episode is that, like I was saying in the opening, well, our egos will want to choose a safety net or a safety zone, some comfortable place of operation, and that's. That's perhaps the blasphemy of of love to to not engage it when it, when there's an opportunity to do that. Mm, mm-hmm. Oh, beautifully said, all of it. Yes, it it feels risky to love, but that's actually sort of the trick because it's riskier not to love, right? Right. Right. Well, mm-hmm. it's it's a slow motion death. <laughs> but well, you're right, now, love is inexhaustible. It's infinite. Oh yeah. I mean, um well now we're getting towards the end of the hour. I want to make sure the audience knows about you, your platform, if you work with people one on one, online, your book, your web page. Give us a whole rundown if you will. Mm, thank you. And I'm so happy and pleased to be here with you, Les, and thank you to your listeners. I'm just very, very grateful for everybody who's here and broadening your awareness. So where to find me? You can find me at PamelaBrinker.com. That's my website. And there are lots of blogs on the website, and there are testimonials. There are graphics, little uh, one-page 
summar summarizations that will help you, like the whole being scan that I kind of walked everybody through a little earlier tonight. And there are some other tools that are helpful there. So go to PamelaBrinker.com. I would love everybody to go to my Amazon. Um, I didn't have any control over this, but Amazon reduced the price of my book to $12.39. <laughs> and I guess they did that because initially there were so many people buying it that first month that they, I think they may have overstocked. And so right now the book is, is that price for the paperback and it's $9.99 for the Kindle. So if you just go to Amazon.com, Conscious Bravery. And then I would also be so grateful if everyone would go to my YouTube channel because I'm about to put up one YouTube per day, little 15 to 20 second YouTubes last and listeners, and also some two-minute YouTubes that, that are really fun. And I, I teach things like earth and sky, this practice that's very simple that, you know, it only takes a minute to do. And I teach things like, um, well, a lot of people call it bilateral stimulation, but the left-right exercise to really activate both sides of our brains and our bodies. So there's going to be some fun videos going up on my YouTube channel, which is Be Brave with Pamela Brinker. Well, very nice. Well, you know, you only live just Thank down you. the road a tad. And uh, maybe someday our our paths will cross. I want to thank you, yes. Pamela. I mean, the the vibrance of your personality. I mean, you've you've been through a few shit storms, so to speak, and and you've had to mm. to figure things out. And um, I'm just I'm just delighted with uh, who you are as a, a a vibrant alive engaged human being after after going through some tough stuff it's like i like the metaphor it's it's like it seems like the soul's journey you come out of the tsunami you're dripping wet you've come out of the storm you get your bearings you shake yourself off and you turn around you walk back into the storm but this time is mm. through a, as a vehicle of compassion and you really embody that really well. So I want to thank you for being oh. our guest tonight. I really enjoyed this episode. Mm. Thank you so much. It's really, you're just a beautiful being. And, and I think you do what I do, which is I stand in both the shadow and the light. And when we can do that, everything is, is magical and, and more real. We've been talking with Pamela Brinker, and the topic tonight has been conscious bravery, caring for someone with addiction. You know, pain is only uh, um, a stimulus. Your relationship with that, you can you can redefine your experience with pain. Uh, I think where we get stuck so many times is we have this default reaction. And one thing uh, a repetitive reaction does is create the same results. Reactions make the same results. And a lot of times we can get flat out stuck because we stay in that repetitive, reactive cycle, which always produces the same results, which don't always serve us. And so to, to re, 
redevelop, to change, to reprogram the the stimulus, your relationship with the stimulus, your relationship with pain, your relationship with uncertainty, your relationship with angst, your relationship with um, loss. You're bigger than all of those. You're you're a gigantic, multidimensional soul somehow shoehorned into a physical body. So whatever you're going through, it's only a chapter. No, that the, there's no chapter that that dominates the book. There's always another chapter. There's always another potential. There's always another um, possibility. We're always at a never-ending crossroads, so to speak, of what and who we might become in our lives. So I salute you, the listener, because here you are. You're listening to this episode, and you're showing up for yourself. You, you're you interested in growing who you are. So I want to celebrate you for showing up for yourself. Damn, damn, <laughs> life. Life is a wonderful, wonderful thing, and we're at such a dynamic, vibrant, um, exciting time. We're looking at the transformation of a flipping planet. I know it looks like wet cleanup aisle five, but find that, uh, as Pamela shared, there's there's that inner core of you that that's got this, that knows the bigger picture. It, it's only our little ego cells that can get up so flipping lost off in the weeds. It's my passion. It's my pleasure. It's my purpose to to language love, to language <laughs> the dynamic of this human genome. What it what does it mean to be a human being on a planet, and and what can you do to to show up more in a in a way that honors you, in a way that grows you, in a way that excites you, uh, perhaps a sense of adventure for your life. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I'm your host, Les Jensen. I want to thank you for sharing this time with us. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.